the idea is that it couldn't just be any hero or just, I don't know, an accountant mm-hmm. <laughs> vanquishing the dragon. It has to be a king. Uh, his power is derived from his symbolism and he cannot be introduced into society without altering yeah. the fabric of reality. He needs to ride in as a savior, but not against common problems. You know, I don't know. You can't have him fight inflation. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, of course sometimes you know if you cannot do like the big things you know like um, having this huge benefit to society and doing like the grand gestures and operatic the gra- gestures uh, yeah you know yes. it, it, it's always nice if you can do the small things like you know kill somebody and initially all they are supposed to do as watchmen is to roam the streets at night and shout it's 12 o'clock and all is well (laughs) yeah (laughs) and if it isn't all well you find another street I don't know how it feels to you, but to me, it seems like we've been living in the most stupid and cruel of timelines for a while now. I am an optimist, so I always think it yes. can be worse. <laughs> Seeing the positives yes, in, the, yes. in the current. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I envisioned this episode as a way to cope with mm-hmm. that, either with the fact that this might be actually a more positive uh, situation than <laughs> what we could have, or, you know, if you think it's really bad, then cope with that. Yeah, no, but I mean, you can think it's really bad and still think of the many ways in which it can be totally worse. Looking at it from a very wide angle, (laughs) like what what do we have here? Like we have a war raging just across the border. Mm -hmm. We have... A myriad of other clusterfucks that we, I don't know, I I guess at this point we barely even register because there's a point of saturation Mm -hmm. that you reach and you cannot even. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then the continuous dissolution of any social solidarity in our own communities, Mm -hmm. you know. Not a lot to be happy about, but if there's one thing that we really insist upon is that we're not going to tolerate any doom spiraling or blackpilling or, you know, generally giving up on humanity and the future. Yes. And on this podcast, our more politically minded episodes generally look at history because to define a vision of how the world should look like, you need to make judgments about your past. Otherwise, you just end up aimlessly hoping for a normal life or life like abroad as we've discussed yes. in our episode about you know what happened uh, in Eastern Europe after 1989 and the fall of uh, the previous regimes but this time around we chose fiction over history always better <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and we chose fiction that talks about a society's perception of its history, of where legitimate power comes from, what are or should be the limits of power, and how the unremarkable people, you know, the little people going about their lives, fit into all of this and sort of shape all of this. Yeah, if there is a book that actually provides an entertaining and engaging read about all of these things, um, I think it is Guards, Guards by Terry Pratchett. There are many books in the Discworld series that somehow managed to uh, pack a lot of punch underneath um, deluge of dead jokes and spoofs of fantasy <laughs> or detective novel tropes. But uh, we have to start somewhere and I honestly think that this is the uh, best uh, place to start, especially since the Watch series is my favorite series. I know it's not yours. <laughs> I know you are with the witches. <laughs> 
it slightly tips towards the witches for me, yes. And uh, we picked this book because uh, it is so good in helping the reader understand ideas such as hollowed out institutions or the benefits of solidarity uh, on those alienated or marginalized. And of course, uh, it's also about hope that propels us forward, helps us, you know, pick up the pieces and try again to improve society, you know, somewhat. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Might be nice. Might be nice. In, in our in our own little way, and a, um, a little is always better than other all. But also, I think we should keep in mind that um, a quote from uh, Terry Pratchett, also from the Watch series, but it's not from Guards Guards; it's from another mm-hmm. book, is that sometimes you know if you cannot do like the big things, you know, like um, having this huge benefit to society and doing like the grand gestures and operatic gra- gestures, uh, yeah, you know, yes. it, it, it's always nice if you can do the small things. Things like you know, kill somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's also uh, from from another... Irina with the highly clippable quote again. <laughs> <laughs> that's it for your political career, my yeah, dear. Yeah, totally. <laughs> So before we dive in, for those who might not be familiar with the Discworld setting, just a few introductory words. The disc in Discworld is basically flat earth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's uh, supported by four elephants atop a giant spacefaring tortoise who is swimming towards its final copulation at the ends of the universe, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is like the big crunch or who knows, maybe it's actually the Big Bang and the beginning of a more, you know, physics-based world that we inhabit. Who knows? It's a world that has magic in it, including a wizarding university, but also plenty of no-nonsense people who just won't put up with it, <laughs> which is being among them. Yeah, so... yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, th- there is a there is a big difference between wizards and witches in uh, in the Discworld universe, in which wizards always do magic and generally fuck shit up. And wizards are a bit like tech bros who just want to do stuff for the sake of yeah, yeah, yeah. And the witches. Uh, they can also do magic, but they seldom do uh, magic because they realize the power and also the possible downfall uh, of magic. Mm -hmm. And they generally are just reasonable people who who don't let, uh, you know, other people do all sorts of nonsense. They're the people who focused on humanities in college. Pretty pretty much. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) So Guards Guards is the first title among the books uh, featuring the watch. What is the watch? They are an intriguing bunch because somehow, even though they might fit the role of cops or at least community police, there's an important twist and uh, we'll get into what that is. But personally, how would you summarize what the watch is? Well, specifically, uh, our protagonists are from the Night Watch. They are the cops that um, take care of business by night. Um, <laughs> So, so basically, they are not the main police. They are like you know the the, ov- the reserves, the, the reserves, the, <laughs> the bench, <laughs> yeah, the, the overnight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the night shift. Yeah, okay. Uh, so basically, uh, the night watch, they're, they're basically the, the night shift of uh, police, which uh, at some some point um, in the novels becomes a little bit strange because um, Vimes sort of becomes everybody's boss, but nobody mentions uh, the day watch, basically. <laughs> because there is none. Be- because there yeah. is none. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Talk about hollowed out institutions. Yeah, yeah. We'll pretty, see why. pretty much. So what they are at the beginning... In, in, in the first novel, in Guards, Guards, they are just 
well, very few people that do, losers that yeah that do nothing and they do nothing by by choice and uh, they they struggle to keep doing nothing i, I mean they, they are uh, <laughs> they, 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 their fear is that they might actually do something and well you know then what would happen and uh, yeah. during um, their progression during uh, the the watch novels they become people who actually start doing more and more and mattering more and more one of their features is that they are very diverse. Not one of them is like the other. And somehow that is their strength. When you say diverse, it also... Of course, it's it's in, in the context of a fantasy novel. Mm-hmm. It's diverse in terms of fantasy races as well, but it's also in terms of their moral spine, yes. yes. Because it's interesting because the whole idea is that uh, they're not necessarily the nicest of people, mm-hmm. but you can get them in a sort of context in which... They they do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Personally, I, I I just have this very strong feeling about the watch that Pratchett basically was like, okay, cops, but what if cops the way, the idealistic way that, you know, a kid would imagine what a cop's role should be? Because when you're a kid, you're, you think cops are the good guys because they're supposed to do these things, you know, to actually serve, to actually protect the most vulnerable. So you don't think about, you know, how the police in, you know, in reality have originated and what they are supposed to usually protect. I feel like this is what they are. As you said, they're, they, they're progressing. They're yes. To, initially, towards, they're just towards. losers. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and also, not all of them are the good guys. I mean, yeah. some of them keep being the people who sort of try to not, not do their job in a way that, <laughs> you know, doesn't stand out. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to first uh, give you a wiki Wikipedia summary of the plot. And then we both selected quotes that we thought were interesting to discuss. So the story follows a plot by a secret brotherhood called the Unique and Supreme Lodge of the Elucidated Brethren to overthrow the patrician of Ankh-Morpork, which is like the sort of dictator mm-hmm. slash ruler slash yeah. mastermind <laughs> ruling uh, Ankh-Morpork and install a puppet king under the control of a supreme grand master. Using a stolen magic book, they summon a dragon to strike fear into the people of Ankh-Morpork. The leader of the Elucidated Brethren is initially successful in controlling the dragon, but he has not accounted for the dragon's own abilities. The banished dragon returns and makes itself king of Ankh-Morpork and demands that the people bring it gold and regular virgin sacrifices <laughs> whilst preparing for an ambitious and vigorous foreign policy aimed at subjugating the city's neighbors. It is the task of the Night Watch, uh, led by Captain Vimes, Sergeant Colon, Corporal Nobs, and new volunteer Carrot Iron Founderson to stop them, with some help from the librarian of the Unseen University, an orangutan trying to get the stolen book back. And uh, I think the best way to organize the quotes and some of the ideas in the book is by dividing them into three main chapters. And we're going to talk about uh, the Brethren, Sam Vimes and the Watch, and the Patrician and the general political world building uh, mm-hmm. in, in the book. Okay, so uh, let's uh, start off with the Brethren. What would you say is the best description of the kinds of people that the fellas in the congregation represent? Yeah, I mean, I don't have to say it because I think Terry Pratchett said it best, <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> so quote. Okay, so the Supreme Grandmaster, who is, as the title says, the boss of the 
conspiracy. Of the conspiracy. Um, describes um, his, uh, his fellow co-conspirators. His flock. His flock. He describes them as incompetent, but incompetent with possibilities. Let the other societies take the skilled, the hopefuls, the ambitious, the self-confident. He'd take the whining, resentful ones, the ones with a belly full of spite and bile, the ones who knew they could make it big, if only they'd be given the chance. Give him the ones in which the floods of venom and vindictiveness were damped up behind thin walls of ineptitude and low-grade paranoia. Does that sound a bit? Yeah, it's so familiar. And what I does find, it sound uh, a bit like the people you you met when you had your short stint in local politics? No, actually, <laughs> no. Okay, no. It it sounds a lot like like online people. <laughs> you know, like it, it sounds a lot like people on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, what I liked is that after this this quote, it's a it's something that is just funny. It, it doesn't have any particular you know value. But I like the thought the the supreme grandmaster uh, has looking at his flock and seeing how you know pretty much terrible in a nondescript uh, generalizing <laughs> low grade they are, and he thinks that. The Supreme Grandmaster felt the beginnings of the old thrill of power. They were hanging on his words. This was a feeling worth dressing up in bloody silly robes for. Because, of course, <laughs> uh, the conspirators also have to put up the show, you know, because you, you can't just have... You a, have to. Yeah, you have to, you have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it sounds a lot more like QAnon than it sounds um, like, you know, the people I've met... Uh, who are actually trying to make a political party, even though they had their flaws, even though they, they clearly, some of them had some of these qualities. <laughs> um, mm. But um, it, it sounds a lot more like the people who are not actually trying to build something. The quote uh, you mm -hmm. gave uh, about the brethren emphasized the sort of resentfulness mm -hmm. that yeah. the people yeah. had. Yeah. And what I liked about the book, and I don't have a quote for this because it's sort of interspersed uh, between their dialogues across several pages, but at one point uh, it seemed interesting because uh, you could see how most of the people, so these conspirators as well, the way they perceive oppression is distorted because they sort of know and complain about the patrician, so the leader mm -hmm. of the city, but they also kind of are like, he's too far removed from our lives yeah. to, for us to perceive him, yeah. the, the actual powerful one, yeah. as being the cause of our troubles. So what they focus on are just like, you know, the petty Yeah, one sister, one, uh, the wife, the neighbor. Person play, playing yeah. the tuba. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. What, yeah. What I like is that um, the, the Supreme Grandmaster somehow, you know, thinks that like he chose these people and these are like the stupids and after he will enact his grand plan he will have you know a new flock and I like uh, mm -hmm. I actually have a quote about how he thinks about his future flock and just I think it's so funny because he thinks that but when I rule the city 
There is going to be none of this. I shall form a new secret society of keen-minded and intelligent men. Although, not too intelligent, of course. Not too intelligent. <laughs> and we will overthrow the cold tyrant and we will usher in a new age of enlightenment and fraternity and humanism and Ark Morpork will become a utopia and people like Brother Plasterer will be roasted over slow fires if I have any say in the matter, which I will. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, it's quite funny, you know, how basically evil people think about themselves. Like, I'm doing all of this. Somehow it will be great, but it will be great in my own particular uh, way and uh, I can still kill all the people I want to. <laughs> Also, I love the fact that there is so much disdain among people we might call, I don't know, evil. Yeah. <laughs> and it, they, like they despise one another. Oh, and yeah. And I think all the infighting between like extremists and fascists and neo-fascists, uh, even today, is kind of indicative of that. Also, I just love the symbolism mm -hmm. behind the whole, all these petty people summoning the dragon because it's the power of petty resentment mm -hmm. literally summons fascism. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the dragon. But it's like, it's it's sort of that unchecked, totally random, I don't like your face sort of uh, uh, violence that they want to usher it's in. It's actually a quote that says that um, all you needed was willpower. And the brethren had a lot of that. Small-minded and vitriolic willpower. Yes, lousy with malignity, maybe but still powerful enough in its own way. And um, because the Grand uh, Master, the Supreme Grand Master, he's, uh, I mean, he's, he's supposed to be a smart person. Yeah, and, uh, and, and, and he is, because clearly for, for a while he, he even fooled the patrician. Yes, yes, because, you know, spoilers, this whole episode is spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he is basically the right-hand man of the patrician. Uh, and he is described actually by Sam Vimes, so the captain of the watch, mm -hmm. who coincidentally recognizes him as a childhood friend or neighbor, yeah. you might call it. Uh, and he describes him as that sort of kid who was always, you know, you could see it from uh, his childhood that he was very eager to, to climb every ladder possible. So it's a smart person and I wanted to say this because it's interesting how he uses the particularities of the world of the Discworld to hone in and control the, the petty resentment mm -hmm, that he's mm -hmm, trying to channel mm -hmm. from all these people because the whole proposal that he puts forth to, to uh, his congregation regarding the summoning of the dragon is uh, very much uh, reliant on the laws of the narrative. Mm -hmm. And this is something Pratchett plays around quite a bit in his books. This need people have of things following a very familiar story, regardless of how reality is yeah. actually shaping up. So it's uh, this running joke in the Discord, like a million in one chance yeah, yeah, yeah. always succeeds yeah. because this is what we've constantly see in movies, in fairy tales, and in every sort of production yeah. that we ingest throughout our lives. And uh, the brethren among themselves discuss the need for a long-lost king specifically. Mm -hmm. Because uh, their plan is of, like to summon a dragon, have someone like a king come along, vanquish it, and then they could control the king and so yeah. on. Uh, but the idea is that it couldn't just be any hero or just, I don't know, an accountant mm -hmm. <laughs> vanquishing the dragon. It has to be a king. Uh, his power is derived from his symbolism and he cannot be introduced into society without altering yeah. the fabric of reality. He needs to ride in as a savior, but not against common problems, you know, I 
don't know. You can't have him fight inflation. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> whoever, whoever heard of that? Yeah. Yeah. So you need a dragon for that. And if you don't have a dragon, you know, mucking about, you get that. You know, <laughs> as we can all see, the dragon in the shape of the transgenders who are trying to transgender oh. all of our children. <laughs> Didn't, like, the whole transgender issue just break the brains of pretty much everyone who is, you know, from the conservatives going to the right wing to the extremists, like, everyone on that scale is just, like, broken, completely broken. Like, any other grievances they had about society, they they disappeared, revert back. Yeah, it's like... Nothing, nothing matters. We have to stop (sighs) the transgenders from transgendering everyone. It's incredible. <laughs> Talking about the war next door, you see someone who's like, oh my God, you are a fucking grandpa. And you you started the war and you are blabbing about spheres of influence and also plop, <laughs> the transgenders. And I'm like, just no. Yeah. So d- back to dragons. <laughs> <laughs> we, of course, we have the spectacular danger that has to be out of this world, but also the, you know, the, the flock, the, the people who decided to sort of make up this um, danger because clearly the danger didn't exist. They just made it up and um, they realized that maybe, maybe something is not the best in what they're doing, but uh, how, do, how do they proceed? How do we pull out? Yeah, we don't have a pull out strategy. <laughs> we don't have a pull out strategy. So this is this is how Terry Pratchett describes this. The elucidated brethren were nervous. A kind of fear crackled from brother to brother. It was the fear of someone who, having cheerfully experimented with pouring the powder and wading the ball, has found that pulling the trigger had led to a god awful bang, and pretty soon someone is bound to come and see who's making all the noise. The Supreme Grandmaster knew he had them, thoroughly. Sheep and lamb, sheep and lamb, since they couldn't do anything much worse than they had already done, they might as well press on and damn the world and pretend they wanted it like this all along. Again, very heavy implications with uh, what we're seeing well, honestly, today. Honestly, if, if I didn't know that this book was written like in the 1990s, I would have thought somebody was writing it about the world <laughs> right now. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. everything is so current, which makes it that more uh, sad and, you know, um, helping you towards depression. <laughs> Because it's like, it doesn't matter what period in history you choose. People have always been this bad. I think, uh, I'm not sure uh, who uh, I've heard this from recently, but they said something along the lines of, instead of, you know, you can have a different perspective on all the bad things happening. If you just remember that they're not, oh, just all the bad things happening now all of a sudden, but rather than the rule is for bad things to happen. And the exception is for good things to happen or things to just be sort of silent or, you know. So the Supreme Grandmaster, also um, thinks about, you know, his own role in in a way that uh, also mirrors our reality in a very, you know, (laughs) disturbing way. It was amazing, this uh, mystic business. You tell them a lie, and then uh, when you don't need it anymore, you tell them another lie and tell them they're progressing along the road to wisdom. Then, instead of laughing, they follow you even more, hoping that at the heart of all the lies, they'll find the truth. And bit by bit, they accept the unacceptable. 
Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Again, again, very prescient. This doesn't o- only make me think of politics. I mean, mm-hmm. it's clearly about politics um, in this book and uh, the worst um, the worst way it manifests is in politics. But um, as you know, and if anybody here listens to us also know... <laughs> Uh, all the five people. All, all the five people also know. We hear you, we love you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I work in the field of nutrition. You know, conspiracies in this field are like an everyday occurrence. And there are there are these people that actually build, you know, they, they are sort of supreme grandmasters. Eat this and you won't uh, die of cancer. Yeah, but it's not just eat this. It's today, it's uh, you eat this. And tomorrow, I just like scrap that. Now you eat this other thing. And we just pretend that I didn't tell you that eating the thing I said yesterday will cure you of everything. We'll, we'll pretend we didn't say that. And we'll say that this thing today is the answer to all your problems. And tomorrow, it will be a completely other thing. And your problems are there every single time. But you keep following the people for more and more bullshit, somehow uh, hoping that at the end of all the bullshit, you will achieve, I don't know, immortality or some shit. So yeah, I think I think you find this 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 problem in uh, more more than just politics. But the uh, example that pops uh, into my mind uh, once more is historical, nevertheless, and political as well. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I remember with regards to the First World War, uh, one of the things that happened was that, for instance, the politicians, but also the press at the time in, in the various countries that were engaged in that conflict, had at one point told the, well, told the, the lie. No, it was war, so atrocities were happening. But there were several cases in which they basically basically made up stuff that was depicting the enemy as basically unhuman, unhumanly brutal. And then what they found was that several points during what was a very grinding war and everyone was experiencing heavy losses, it was very difficult for the politicians and the generals to then be like a ceasefire or, you know, negotiating for peace would be a good thing now to cut our losses because when you convince the public that the enemy they're fighting is the devil, basically. Yeah, yeah, is all powerful. You go from denazifying to desatanizing to whatever. So yeah. it's very difficult to then convince the people that, well, we can just, you know, sit down and negotiate with Beelzebub, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's the devil, but uh, we came to know him and he's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> and this is why I dislike it always, even uh, when I talk with people that somehow are, I find them somewhat like-minded, but uh, they they don't accept that Putin is just a person, you know, and, you know, Hitler was just a person. Like, they're not, you know, this, like, exceptional evil, out of time, out of... No, it's a person who had their insecurities, who had their psychosis, who had their desires... And, and they were put in a position yes, where that yes. psychosis uh, made uh, for a fuck ton of victims, basically. Because that's like, we're all fucked up, but yeah. <laughs> I don't have enough power to cause the damage. Uh, and, and, you know, just going back a bit on uh, your idea of all the people we know yeah. now that they're evil, that they're not they're not born with the gene of being evil. They're not plucked from the depths of hell yes, and put yes. on earth to do whatever. I just finished reading a book about Ceausescu recently. Mm-hmm. 
And what struck me in the description of his last years in power, the, the many similarities with what we're seeing nowadays mm-hmm. with Vladimir Putin. And it's just like, yeah, it's the point is, it's not the person. Like, sure, you have your own personality and that makes it so that history rhymes. Yes, yeah. it doesn't necessarily repeat, of course, but just so many similarities in the sort of things they said, they the way they thought about hanging on to power, the, the lengths that they went uh, to to you know, and clearly it's because of the position that they were in rather than, oh, they're just, I don't know, kindred spirits across ages. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and because we are the same species, and of course you can have variations, but a lot of the times it's variation on the same theme somehow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So one other thing um, that comes up in the book, Terry Pratchett, you know, talks about uh, in this book about how evil can rise. You don't necessarily need, you know, Lucifer morning star to come knock on your door <laughs> and be like, behold, uh, hell on earth. How you have actually the little people and also how you have the people who do nothing. And um, there is this quote um, in which Terry Pratchett says this. They avoided one another's faces for fear of what they might see mirrored there. Each man thought one of the others is bound to say something soon, some protest. And then I'll murmur agreement, not actually say anything. I'm not stupid as that, but definitely murmur very firmly so that the others will be in no doubt that I thoroughly disapprove because at a time like this, it behooves all decent men to nearly stand up and be almost heard. (laughs) No one said anything. The cowards thought each man. (laughs) And I mean... (laughs) It's, it, it, it's, I think some other writers take like a whole fucking book to write a tragedy and you have mm-hmm. one here in like a sentence, a few sentences. Uh, I think this is like the, the tragedy of like most of human condition. I don't know. You, you know what I also think about this? Because it seems to me, again, a, tra- a tragedy of human condition. Many a times the most absolutely vile people will just stand up and be like, yes, this is what I think, this is what I want, Yeah, deal with it. Yeah. So <laughs> they're, they're not, you know, they're not the, you know, when we were in class in school and uh, the teacher would ask something and then the chorus of kids would like say whatever mm-hmm. the answer or something and then when she or he would be like, you know, raise your hands yeah. and uh, and then nobody would want to do it <laughs> except the, 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 the person who was like either the fool of the class or the you know the bully or the stupid one or whatever who would be like saying something bad yeah, or something yeah. that would get you grounded you know the whole class yeah, yeah of course most most people contribute to history by not doing anything about it be that in good ways or bad ways Okay, so slight change of plans because uh, Irina has convinced me to first uh, uh, to to next uh, tackle the quotes about the patrician and the general political stuff uh, in the disc world. So we'll we'll leave uh, the watch for last. Okay. I have to say that although the patrician is a fun character to read about, personally, I deeply dislike his smooth operator kind of vibes. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those, I did a thing, but with a twist from Pratchett, whereby I feel like Lord Vetinari, uh, so that's the name of the patrician, is very much the embodiment of the leader with the psychopathic traits, but somehow it ends up doing good inadvertently, or at least significantly less bad by comparison to those challenging his authority. Mm -hmm. 
found a quote that uh, sort of uh, I like about him uh, as, a, as a sort of description. The patrician disliked the word dictator. He never told anyone what to do. Of course, there were various groups seeking his overthrow, and this was right and proper and a sign of a vigorous and healthy society. No one could call him unreasonable about the matter. Why, hadn't he founded most of them? <laughs> so yeah. this, this, this is just... Uh, so yeah, I mean, he is uh, not the sort of uh, guy who's like, okay, I will rule everyone with an iron fist. He definitely is like, control the position. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will allow it. Uh, but uh, no. Well, yeah. I, I think Lord Vetinari is a mixture of a lot of things. He is also a joke from, from, from Terry Pratchett. I mean, I think he viewed Lord Vetinari as also sort of like having fun with uh, with this idea I think uh, Lord Vetinari himself is depicted sometimes as being a bit full of himself. Yes, Like yes. he's, oh, I'm so smart and mm-hmm. I'm so good at, you know, pulling everyone's strings. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a joke, but also depending on how your own disposition is, I, I always thought Lord Vetinari, let's say like a problematic character because... <laughs> a problematic fave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, because if you are, let's say, slightly fascistic inclined... <laughs> Uh, and on, honestly, um, when you are younger, I think a lot of people are, because I don't mean that like children are born to be fascists. I mean that people mm-hmm. uh, tend to want easy solutions. Yeah. And having the guy, the one person who knows everything and can do everything and just put him in charge and he will, you know, make everything, every problem go away is the dream of a lot of people. Just give over your own responsibility and have, you know, have the, the one who can do things. And we can, at least in, in Romania, but I'm sure every, every country mm-hmm. has their own iterations of, of, of this thing. We keep uh, looking for the savior, you know, for a retelling of the Jesus story or some shit, you know. I mean, isn't that why Marvel movies are yeah. so popular so, as well? So, somehow, I mean, of course, Terry Pratchett mocks uh, somewhat Lord Vetinari, but at the same time, not really. And Lord Vetinari is the sort of leader that a society that is still sort of building, immature, yeah. immature politically and ethically ethically as well will produce well not really because generally you don't produce somebody who actually is highly educated even though I mean Lord Vetinari in the books was an assassin he killed people uh, you know uh, as his job before he was the ruler of the of uh, the country and assassins in this book are basically a sort of mix between aristocracy and the intelligentsia yeah. and they're very fancy and things like that so it's yeah they are they are um, a, a fancier MI6 or CIA or something. Securitatia. They're, <laughs> Securi- they're, they're, they're the deep state. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, they're, they're the deep state. So he he is somebody who can kill people without even having a motive of his own. And in real life, those people don't become Lord Vetinari. They become Vladimir Putin. All through the Discworld, every time the character of Lord Vetinari came up, I always had this, this issue with the fact that I don't think Pratchett challenged enough this idea that if you have the somewhat enlightened dictator... You know, I they don't exist actually. I, yeah, no, they don't. I don't think he did enough to uh, actually drive home the point that Lord Vetinari could never ever exist. All the other people could, but he couldn't. 
what I like is, you know, this idea that um, everybody who commits crimes in Ankh-Morpork, they are in a guild. Mm -hmm. There is the guild of assassins and the guild of thieves and the guild of seamstresses, which are actually the prostitutes. And, (laughs) you you know, like everything is within a guild and they have their own laws, but their their own laws uh, have to uh, be contained within the laws of the city. And the guilds themselves are a bit like corporations in the sense that, yeah, they are, uh, yes. they make their own laws and the agreements between them and between them and Lord Vetinari are what basically drives the city politics in Ankh-Morpork. Mm-hmm. And this is why, as we'll see, the Night Watch is basically not the police, although yes. they seem like the police. They're, they're not the police because they don't protect power. They're not given any sort of legitimacy by the powers that be. Yes. They are just nothing. They're a hollowed out institution. At the, at the beginning, and then at the beginning, they, of and, course. And then they progress. What I would like to, to, to quote a little bit, just to get this vibe about Lord Vetinari, is how Lord Vetinari managed to make all the thieves and the assassins and basically uh, all the people who wanted to commit crimes bow down to him. It is said that, you know, Lord Vetinari um, asked all the leaders of, you know, all the all the guilds, uh, be- be- before there were the guilds, you know, the leaders of the, let's say, Power different brokers. gangs. Yeah, the mobster, mobster bosses and uh, he invited them over for a talk. I know who you are. I know where you live. I know what kind of horse you ride. I know where your wife has her hair done. I know where your lovely children are, how old they are now. My, doesn't time fly? I know where they play. So you won't forget what we agreed upon, will you? And he smiled. And so did they. And uh, the conclusion of, of, of this conversation was that a complicated arrangement of, you know, receipts and vouchers and everything was uh, designed so that, you know, everybody can 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 know how, how everything worked. And uh, nobody had too much. And uh, it was acceptable for for everybody. And, and then he says, or it was acceptable to those citizens who were rich enough to afford the quite reasonable premium the guild charged for an uninterrupted life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's basically they have quotas for things like, okay, the Thieves Guild have yeah. this, uh, this quota for how many, you know, theft, acts of theft you can do during a year, the assassins as well, the beggars as well. And so it's like, yeah, yeah, it's it's the mob, basically. It's, it's basically the mob. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm, that's uh, that's how our patrician is, uh, is ruling the city, but also by having some personal characteristics that you couldn't never actually find in a human being. Okay, so it's my turn with a quote. Um, I, I, I kind of summarized uh, the dialogue between Wands, who is the Supreme Grandmaster in disguise, so to speak, and uh, who is the uh, right hand of the patrician, and the dragon that he summons and then loses control over by in the second half of the book. And it, it, it's interesting because it's sort of a depiction of the difference between raw power and concealed power. Mm-hmm. And I think we talked 
talked about this in other episodes as well, uh, that uh, nowadays we're so used to concealed power and not not even seeing power many times be- mm-hmm. behind the procedures and the rule of law and such and such and such. But those who are very near to power, they understand the raw element behind it. The, you know, the I'm going to smash you mm-hmm. element of it, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. uh, so this is how uh, the dialogue between them goes. When once uh, tells him, you know, instead of uh, just having people do stuff out of sheer terror for you, you could just sort of persuade them, tell them a story about how this would be a good thing, actually, and that they would do it voluntarily. And the dragon is very intrigued by this idea in the sense of, you know, what does voluntary mean? And one's response, doing something of their own free will. But they have no free will. They will increase my horde or I will flame them. But you mustn't insist once. And the dragon retorts, there's nothing I mustn't. <laughs> I'm a fucking <laughs> yeah. dragon. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the man recognizes this. Uh, all the roaring and flaming, you don't need it. They'll do it of their own free will. And in time, they'll come to believe it was their own idea. It'll be a tradition. Yeah. The dragon in the book, um, it sort of has different meanings uh, from the beginning to to the end of the book because the dragon is a, a cautionary tale. I don't know if necessarily Terry Pratchett thought, uh, thought, thought of it like that, but it can be seen as a cautionary tale uh, about overthrowing governments because you start up something but you don't know where it will end and you might think it will Revolutions end. can be hijacked very easily. Yes, yes. yes. Revolutions can... I mean, most revolutions are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I given what's happening right now, I cannot uh, not think of, I, uh, you know, Iran. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that um, that poor country has been through... So much. Yeah, that their, their fair share of revolutions and they've all been hijacked. I mean, ours was basically hijacked by the second tier of the Communist Party in, in a big way. What happened with our revolution is what Lord Vetinari says and I think we'll, <laughs> maybe we'll, we'll get to that. You know, the fact that the good people don't have a plan. Only the bad mm-hmm. people have a plan. And I think, honestly, what happened, happened. It, 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 if it could have happened better, it would have. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, I don't know if the people who had better morals, better principles, uh, better uh, visions of the future uh, were in any way ready, capable, willing at that time to be in charge. I think that's that's a very fair point because uh, many a times those, as you said, who would be better leaders from, you know, the perspective of the masses. Of yes, the, well, yes. They live under the same weight of hopelessness many a times as everyone else because when you are so lacking in power or in the sense of what you could do as a collective or, you know, how you could affect the world around you the idea and I'm just you know trying to cast my mind into the head of someone who was I don't know maybe 30-ish 40-ish in 1989 uh, in Romania for instance yeah. the idea that you could have this regime just disappear or or mm-hmm. have something instead of it uh, yeah. when it had cracked down because you know there have had been revolts in the country even before 1989 yes. uh, there have been pressures both from 
hints within the country and from outside of it for Ceausescu to change his course, for there to be reforms, although initially it was, you know, conceived as within the existing state of affairs. And he just stubbornly refused and the, the, the system seemed very ossified. So, of course, as a person who did not have his hand on the levers of power, the idea that you could just, I don't know, make it go away in, what, uh, less than a month, basically, yes. uh, just yeah. seemed... Yeah. So, um, as, as as we were saying, um, the, the the dragon and Lord Vetinari are um, two options. Let let's say one of which works. Lord Vetinari works because even though he is evil, he absolutely is evil. Even though he's entertaining and, you know, a good character. I mean, a lot of times uh, the evil characters uh, tend to be a lot more entertaining than the Mm -hmm. good characters. But uh, Lord Vetinari works because he accepts, even though he could not. I mean, he has the option of not working within the confines of his own making, but he accepts them. I mean, he put them in place for everybody, and that also includes himself, and he makes himself stay in those confinements, even though uh, he could grow his power, but he doesn't. Mm -hmm. And uh, the dragon just doesn't even comprehend the... Confines? What? Yeah, (laughs) confines. Yes, and at the end of the day understanding confinement is also what makes your rule go on and you don't end up, you know... Hung upside down. Hung upside down. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Pretty much. Yes. But yeah, I think that um, we're not, we're not doing a a critique of the book. We're, 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 we're using it, you know, uh, to to, discuss stuff. To to discuss stuff. Yeah. Do you think it would also be the right time to mention the sort of worldview on his subjects, so to speak, that uh, Lord Vetinari has? Of course, because then we can move on to his counterpart, you know, vibes. Yes. Okay, so the patrician says to Vines. Let me give you some advice, Captain. It may help you make some sense of the world. I believe you find life such a problem because you think there are the good people and the bad people. You're wrong, of course. There are always and only the bad people, but some of them are on opposite sides. A great rolling sea of evil. Shallower in some places, of course, but deeper, oh, so much deeper in others. But people like you put together little rafts of rules and vaguely good intentions and say, this is the opposite side, this will triumph in the end. Down there are people who will follow any dragon, worship any god, ignore any inequity, all out of kind of humdrum everyday badness not the really high creative loathsomeness of the great sinners, but a sort of mass-produced darkness of the soul. Sin, you might say, without the trace of originality. They accept evil not because they say yes, but because they don't say no. I'm sorry if this offends you, but your fellows really need us. Yes, sir? Oh, yes. We're the only ones who know how to make things work. You see, the only thing the good people are good at is overthrowing the bad people. And you're good at that, I'll grant you. 
but the trouble is that it's the only thing you're good at. One day, it's the ringing of the bell and the casting down of the evil tyrant, and the next it's everyone sitting around complaining that ever since the tyrant was overthrown, no one's been taking out the trash, because the bad people know how to plan. It's part of the specification. Every evil tyrant has a plan to rule the world. The good people don't seem to have a knack. Maybe, but you're wrong about the rest, said Vimes. It's just because people are afraid and alone. He paused. It sounded pretty hollow even to him. He shrugged. They're just people. They're doing what people do, sir. Lord Vetinari gave him a smile. Of course, you have to believe that. I appreciate. Otherwise, you'd go quite mad. Otherwise, you'd think you're standing on the feather-thin bridge over the vaults of hell. Otherwise, existence would be a dark agony, and the only hope would be that there is no life after death. I quite understand. Vimes paused at the door. Do you really believe that, sir, about the endless evil and the sheer blackness? Indeed, indeed, it is the only logical conclusion. But you get out of bed every morning, sir. What is your point? I'd just like to know why, sir. <laughs> ah, so much to say about this, but uh, in a way, it seems like competing realities. Because yes. I think if you're uh, someone of the disposition of, I don't know, the patrician, yeah. in the sense that you thrive on conflict, mm-hmm. you thrive on this uncertainty in which you can maneuver and things like that, of course, you will imagine and you will want to believe that it's objectively true that there are only bad people with different uh, depths (laughs) of evil within them. Uh, And again, if you're everyone else, I guess, you're like, it has to be a combo, at least, like, give me something to work with. It just seems like too much. Like, why even get out of bed? If this is the world, then... Why would I want to live in it? Yeah, and I think um, throughout the books, uh, at least uh, throughout the watch novels, in the end, Vimes's uh, vision sort of, I think, wins out because he interacts, he actually interacts with the people, unlike Vetinari, who just sort of masterminds yeah. stuff. He interacts with the people and, he, and, and you see that Vimes's ability to see the people in this way makes him uh, good at making them make better decisions. Yeah, because change does happen. Change does happen, uh, actually, yeah. yes. Whereas Lord Vetinari sees things in a very fixed way. Uh, mm-hmm. at, at the beginning at, of Guards, Guards, um, we realized that he named uh, Vimes uh, Captain of the Watch because he was a drunk and because he thought he would not do anything, um, mm-hmm. even though he sort of sees the potential there. And um, the change happens between because Vimes changes and Vimes changes other people. And Vetinari is good because he he's flexible. I mean, when he sees change, he doesn't oppose it. He doesn't think that mm-hmm. the way I thought it should be from the beginning is the only way. When he, th- he sees other things that work, he goes with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I, I mean, this is the way he avoids being hung upside yes, down. Because yes. he's like, <laughs> okay, I thought I had this figured out. Obviously, there are some things, there are some new toys I can play around yes, here. Yes, yes, Because Because he's always, he remains perpetually in control. Yes, absolutely. 
So uh, let's uh, rewind all of this a bit <laughs> to the very beginning of the novel when uh, we are introduced to our very humble protagonist. And drunken Captain Vimes of the Night Watch staggered slowly down the street, folded gently into the gutter outside the watch house, and lay there while, above him, strange letters made of light sizzled in the damp and changed color. You know, talk <laughs> about starting from the bottom, we're at gutter level, so... <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, the first glimpse into what might have caused Vimes's current state kind of summarizes the role that this character will keep playing within the Discworld. Because it's not, as is the case in many sort of noir novels and detective stories, that uh, in, a, in a way, Captain Vimes is a detective. Yeah. In many crime novels, the gumshoe detective is usually, you know, he has been brought low by a woman. Yeah. And, you know, maybe he's had some trouble with his previous boss and things like that. But in the case of Vime, the tragedy that has produced the wretched drunk resting in the gutter at present was his troubled relationship with the city and the public sphere. Uh It's elites, it's politics, it's inner workings. But, tellingly, Vimes himself describes his relationship with Ankh Morpork in very personal terms, as he were actually talking about an uncaring, capricious lover. Yeah. And here's another quote. Which is kind of <laughs> funny because you know Vimes uh, Vimes is drunk and he yeah. and even uh, if the things uh, he 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 thinks he's thinking like a drunk. The city was a was a what's the name thing woman. That's what it was. <laughs> Roaring, ancient, centuries old, strung you along, let you fall in. Uh, love with earth and kicked you in a thingy in your mouth, tongue, tonsils, teeth. Yeah, that's what she did. She was a thing, you know, lady dog, puppy, hen, bitch, bitch, and then you ate her, and just when you thought you'd got her out of your whatever, uh, she opened her great booming rotten heart to you. Caught you off uh, <laughs> bells. Let's see. I never knew where you stood. Lay. Only thing you were sure of, you couldn't let her go. Because she was yours. All you had. Even in her gutters. Yeah. So um, he's the leader of the watch, which at the time the novel starts, it's basically him and two more people. One of their colleagues just recently died. Yeah, yeah. There used to be one more guy, but they let him be killed and they didn't do anything, actually. So that's one more reason for 
vimes to drink and the other two trying mm-hmm. very hard not to think about it. And as we mentioned, the watch is not really the police, although they have that look about them, uh, because they they don't serve the interests and they do not protect the wealthy in Morpork. Mm-hmm. The girls take care of themselves. Uh, power is generally something this group is not just removed from, like totally removed from, but mocked by because there are several scenes in which, for instance, like the palace guards are just treating them like, what, what, are, what are you doing here? Like, get out of my way or just come. And initially, all they are supposed to do as watchmen is to roam the streets at night and shout, it's 12 o'clock and all is well. <laughs> yeah. And if it isn't all well, you find another street. <laughs> this is what they yeah. discuss among yeah. one another. You're not supposed to question the existing arrangement of the thieves' guilds or anyone else. Uh, this is why we mentioned that they are an example of a hollowed-out institution. Yeah. Like, people within it not just don't feel like what they're doing is meaningful and contributing to society in any way, but the people who end up in the watch are also kind of broken or considered losers or, you know, yeah. just unconsequential. But then <laughs> things are about to change because, you know, we mentioned the transformation that happens uh-huh. both in the case of Vines, but also in the case of the watch as a whole. And it is sort of driven by a young man striding into town. And I know he is one of your favorite characters. Yes. So, do tell us a few <laughs> words about Yeah, so uh, the, the new character is uh, Carrot, who is actually a human who was adopted by dwarves and uh, was raised... Who identifies as a dwarf. Who, yeah, who thinks himself as a very tall dwarf. <laughs> yes. Uh, but uh, his mother and uh, his uh, father uh, sent him in the city uh, because they think uh, he needs to find uh, also his own people, you know? And um, Carrot is also a Depiction. And when when we say his own people, it's the dwarf living in the city because <laughs> yeah. he still thinks he's a dwarf. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and and carrot um, somehow carrot is more like a uh, like a Lord Veterinary character in the sense that carrot has the characteristics of a person that could not exist in reality uh, because mm. he manages to not see the bad in people and um, but in a way that seems naive and everybody thinks that he'll just get himself killed but mm. at the same time he is um, able to to listen to advice from other people and incorporate it in what he does. And also, he is able to go and talk to people in such a way that his exceptionally uh, good nature just manages to change them, at least for a short while. And uh, his desire to do the right thing, to do everything good, and his general genuine goodness in the end sort of shines through to the other character and they also feel like okay we have to do something about some things Mm -hmm. and uh, the whole story in the book is you know these conspiracy theorists um, who want to make up a dragon make up a threat and also they want to find uh, a made-up hero who will take care of the made-up threat the threat ends up being real and uh, actually the hero uh, ends up not being the made-up prince but uh, ends up being Carrot who Vimes realizes um, actually might be long-lost king only he doesn't want a crown he doesn't want you know 
money and all those things. He just genuinely wants to do the right thing. At the same time, Carrot also has a huge amount of power that is also uh, something that you couldn't achieve as a normal person because he has this way of making people do what he wants. Only fortunately, what he wants is good. So there are... (laughs) A few more quotes that we could discuss, but I'm looking at the timestamp and we're already like two hours into this discussion. (laughs) I don't think anyone will be able to bear us for such a long time. Do you think you have anything you would like us to end this episode on? Pretty much, you know, like, why did we decide (laughs) to talk about Guards Guards? Because uh, it it, it, it does sound kind of... Because the news news made us sad. Yeah, pretty (laughs) pretty much, uh, you know, I mean, myself and and also you, we've we've both already um, read almost all the books. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have some books I haven't read. I think you read them all. I don't know. And I just decided to reread Guards, Guards because um, basically I was doom spiraling, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was, I was made depressed, not so much of the real evil, <laughs> not, not mm-hmm. so much the dragon was making me depressed, meaning Putin and his war, as the gang of elucidated brethren let's say (laughs) Uh, the people going like but uh, you know maybe Ukraine also did something wrong maybe Maybe the dragon has a point yeah maybe the dragon ate those people but you know do you remember when they were late for our meeting (laughs) 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 yeah so so I think what the um, uh, overall usefulness of guards guards as a book besides being obviously a well-written book uh, fun and engaging it's a very goofy book because i don't yeah, know if that yes, has yes. come across from uh, our discussion but it's very goofy yeah, yeah it's very goofy it's it, it's full of jokes uh, of of playing with words just for having fun with words um, so it's genuinely easy to read and uh, it will be a good time but what the book has the book has an actually compelling discussion of bad things happening in the world. Also a very genuine acknowledgement about the fact that people mostly suck. Going veterinary, I see. Yeah, I mean, uh, the book presents you with different people and except for for Carrot, then Carrot is clearly like this idealized version of all things good. Every other character has bad parts and has flaws and has things that they would like to be, but they are not managing it. But uh, what the book does is that it gives you hope as a reader, but not because it portrays you some this ideal utopia that you can sometime in the future reach. I don't know, the communist utopia. Mm -hmm. It gives you hope because it tells you that even though people really are like this, people really are shitty a lot of the time, people are also good. Those same people are also good. And with those people who have flaws, who are shitty, who cannot get their shit together most of the time, with those people together, you can do something good. If you want to improve society somewhat, yes, you know, yes. the meme goes, you'll have to do it with the people you have. You cannot do it with imaginary people you... Yes, and, and you cannot do it in the way the Supreme Grandmaster was thinking. Like, uh, you, you cannot look down at the 
people that you have now and think that, oh, I will achieve my goal with these stupid fucks and then I will just like, you know, not give I'll a shit. I'll get some of- better players in the transfer window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I will get to the better people later. Mm-hmm. No, it clearly doesn't work like that. And uh, even if you are a carrot <laughs> and uh, you just see good things everywhere, or even if you are a veterinary who just sees evil everywhere, the only way to actually manage things and make them better if is is if you work with what you have, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that's that, that's why uh, Guards Guards uh, has been my, let's say, copium. <laughs> and on that note, let's celebrate the good and the bad in each one of us by sharing, liking, subscribing and leaving us a review. <laughs> <laughs> clearly, <laughs> Because clearly. Uh, if you've enjoyed this, and even if you didn't, it helps uh, if you do that. Yeah, uh, you, can, uh, you can just write yeah, shit about that, us. That also it's helps also good. <laughs> somehow. The, that also helps. If you dislike yeah, this, so- that's... Oh, that so, also helps, apparently. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, uh, write the worst things you can say about us. <laughs> we will have fun reading about it and uh, ignoring you or just thinking that you just don't understand our greatness. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, bye-bye and have fun and read Terry Pratchett. Yes, bye. Bye.